0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the Puck and Hoop podcast. I'm Brian Dunstan, along with Keith Reedon once again. We're going to jump right into news and notes. And really, we've only got one note to talk about. And it's we're going to put a bow on uh, the Kyrie Irving situation. Now, look, it's a situation that's gone on far too long. And it's a situation wholly created by Kyrie because he tweeted about that reprehensible documentary, That shall not be named on this podcast, but let's be clear about one thing as we get into this and try and wrap things up for you. Kyrie Irving was not suspended for the tweet. He was suspended because of the reaction to the tweet that impacted the Brooklyn Nets organization. And then they wanted him to go through a whole series of stipulations to come back to the team and that was including a five-game suspension, which has now gone on for what, eight games? Now, supposedly, yeah, eight games. Yeah. Now, supposedly, Kyrie was supposed to rejoin the team today. This is Sunday. We're actually taping this podcast. And uh, the Brooklyn Nets are playing on this evening. And Kyrie is questionable for not reasons due to the uh, suspension, but for other reasons, whether he's going to suit up tonight. But he is available to play. My whole thing, Keith, is this. How is Kyrie the villain in this? Sure, he was wrong to put out a tweet and not explain why he put it out, but he's been turned into—he's been castigated, drawn and quartered, suspended, loss of income from his uh, shoe deal with Nike, and loss of income from his job as a basketball player. He's been punished, and yet there are people who have put this pod, this podcast, this documentary up on their platforms, Amazon. There are people who are selling this book that this uh, documentary came from in their stores online this book was printed in 2015 published in 2015 the documentary was produced in 2018 and now in 2022 Kyrie Irving is the one that has to pay the piper yeah you know
1: what I, I, I don't believe it's fair but on the other hand Kyrie Irving has painted himself rightfully or wrongfully as a villain out there in the larger uh, space that is media, that is social media, especially. He's he's painted himself as a villain. Uh, I think Kyrie was largely being punished, obviously, for not apologizing. But also, I think it was being punished for past transgressions and past sins. And to be honest, for being brash enough, arrogant enough, to not come out and apologize right off the top. I mean, if you read his apology, and we both did, and we both listened to it, you know, his various apologies, Kyrie said, you know what, I, I was going to apologize at, at the fr- at the beginning, but you know what, I, I was wondering, why do I have to apologize? You know, and for well, me... Well, that is a
0: good question. Yeah. That is a good
1: question. Yeah, and for why me, does the, he have to apologize? For me, that's also not understanding your place in the world, the impact. This isn't you or I tweeting it. Not, you know, not in 2022, in 2024 when we're the biggest sports like, <laughs> podcast like the out think. there <laughs> in the world, if we made yeah, but if we made a tweet like this in 2024, it's going to have a much bigger impact. We don't have to come down on the side and say this is what we believe by putting it out there. I think it's a little naive on Kyrie's part, that just solely by putting it out there, there's a group of people who are naively going to believe this is what you believe, and there's also a group of people, Brian, who are going to latch onto it and want to latch onto it and say, hey, look, Kyrie Irving believes this. It's not that bad, right, for their own nefarious gains.
0: Uh, And that's the issue, I think, at hand here, Keith, is that Kyrie Irving, as everyone who's dealt with him knows, he's not anti-Semitic. But what he tweeted was interpreted to be support of anti-Semitic views. And he did not feel he had to explain that. But you know what? When you put something out into the world in social media and you have the power of being a Kyrie Irving, a highly visible superstar basketball player, that comes with responsibility. Your actions, your words, your tweets... They speak volumes, and people are going to interpret them based on not necessarily what you tweet or say, but in how they perceive it. And the perception was that he was being anti-Semitic. And if you don't come out and disavow that right away, then you're bringing a world of hate and heat onto yourself, and that's what happened to Kyrie. Now, he went on, finally, to fully apologize for the impact of the tweet, but he also said that he had to learn and has to learn to understand the power of his responsibility of being Kyrie Irving and putting things out into the world. Now, Kyrie Irving is 30 years old. And as you like to say, he thinks he's the smartest man in the room. Now, if you're as smart as you think you are, Kyrie, how could you not understand the impact of your actions when you do something like this. That's where I have a problem with Kyrie Irving. I have a bigger problem with the reaction to what happened, but I have a big problem with what Kyrie, uh, his stance is based on who he is in this world.
1: Yeah, as I mentioned to you earlier, I um, my problem was I, I, his apology left me kind of um, unsatisfied. And not for the reasons you may think. I was kind of unsatisfied because I'm like, Kyrie you know you're apologizing but you still don't you don't understand who you are you don't understand your power you know you're you're apologizing now and, and I don't and believe it's solely yeah I don't believe its solely so he can play basketball but um, part of it is there's a petulance that comes with Kyrie and I was kind of thinking like if you believed it was wrong I can understand you got your backup right away saying, why do I have to apologize? But what about the team? That's always been my problem with Kyrie. What about the team? And people could say, oh, this issue is larger than basketball. For me, Kyrie Irving is famous for one reason and one reason alone. And it's because he's one of the best basketball players on the planet. So what about your teammates? What about hanging them out to dry? And you know, they're all going to say the ro- the right things. Oh, we back up Kyrie. We believe in him. But you know what? We've both been on teams. There are people in that locker room that are looking at him going, you know, come on. Why are you bringing these negative, um, these negative issues around us when we are trying to win basketball games? That, that bothered me about it. But the other part that bothered me about it is, you know what? If you really believed and stood for what you said initially, I almost thought, well, then why are you apologizing? You know, I I don't see Amazon apologizing, as you mentioned. I don't see the publisher of this book apologizing. You know, this book's been out there. The movie's been out there. You know, why is Kyrie the only one that is getting hurt from this and having to apologize? I mean, hey, you know what? My son wears Kyries. He likes his basketball shoes. There's not going to be a Kyrie 8, according to Nike. But we see they they can flip-flop and change. But why why is Kyrie getting punished
0: from this? And, you know, Amazon isn't. Or Nike isn't. Nike is yeah. one of the biggest supporters of China. They manufacture their shoes in China. They sell shoes in China. China is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, violators of human rights in the free world right now. And yet Nike will do business with in China and for China and yet they won't do business with Kyrie Irving. There's a dichotomy there that just does not add up for me. And the fact that Kyrie Irving was dropped by Nike and Nike is still, you know, out there producing shoes made in China and doing business with China, it just speaks, it lends credence to what Jalen Brown of the Boston Celtics said. He said, all you have to do is take 10 minutes, just 10 minutes, and research any of the organizations, any of these companies, and you will find not necessarily similar things that Kyrie purportedly supports, based on the internet reaction, but things that these organizations are doing, like Nike, that fall on the wrong side of the morality issue. And yet they're not being uh, called to pay the piper. It's an inequity that exists because it's, Kyrie is just one person, and he's an easy target. He's made himself a target, and the fact is, he's he doesn't have the machinery behind him to to you know move that those crosshairs off him when situations like this happen. Amazon does, Nike does, all of those big shoe manufacturers do. Kyrie Irving doesn't.
1: Yeah. I, I think he found out, uh, you know, as you mentioned before, I think he learned a good lesson. I think he learned about the power he does have, but also the power that he does not have. I mean, you're comparing him and Nike's uh, support and manufacturing in China. China's their biggest market. China's the biggest market in the world. And, you know, the billions of dollars that Nike makes in China, in China through the manufacture and through the selling of their products. I mean you know, that doesn't compare, the Kyrie Irving 8 is a drop in the bucket, and Kyrie Irving is a drop in the bucket when it comes to this Nike juggernaut, you know, this machine that's Nike, and I think he, he, that's one of the things that he's finding out, like, you know, I don't think, you know what, I don't know Kyrie Irving, but I don't think this is really a pocketbook issue for him, and, you know, the loss of revenue from, you know, his shoe, but, you I I think that's one of the places that obviously it's a place he's gotten hurt, but yeah, I think he learned, you know, he learned a lesson. Like, you know, yeah, he's got power because of social media, because of who he is as a basketball player, but you know, the Nikes and the Amazons of the world, their power dwarfs his. And I I think that's a lesson he's learning right now.
0: uh, To to put a bow on this and wrap things up, Kyrie Irving is a self-professed lifelong learner And I think he's learned a hard lesson from this. And, you know, while he's been excoriated in many corners for this tweet, that has been so misinterpreted as his support for the odious contentions made in that book and that documentary, which is still readily available on Amazon, you know, Keith. It's still out there. (laughs) And the book is still being sold by major booksellers everywhere, except for Barnes & Noble, who pulled it just this weekend. It's worth noting, though, that this... This stuff is still out there and it's not being promoted or pushed by Kyrie Irving. It's being promoted and pushed by big manufacturing and big organizations. And that is the bottom line. Kyrie Irving is just one person, once again, tilting at windmills. Kind of a modern day Don Quixote. All right. And that is a wrap on news and notes. Now we're going to jump right into the fun part of the Puck and Hoop podcast. We're going to talk about Puck and Hoop. I'm going to begin. Well, I don't know, Keith. The Toronto Maple Leafs, we, we are not quite at the 20-game mark. We will be later on this week when the Leafs jump back into action against the New York Islanders on Monday. But we are 19 games into the regular season. I think that is enough of a uh, time under, the, under our belt to really dive in to see what this team is all about. 10-5-4 as of Sunday, third place in the Eastern Conference Second in the Atlantic, eight points behind the red-hot Boston Bruins. And this team has yet to play a solid stretch of games where they've looked like a team that can win a Stanley Cup. Yet they're still up there near the top of the conference. What to make of this team at this point, I don't know.
1: Yeah, you know what? Um, expectations, right? Expectations for the Leafs are through the roof. Still, 19 that, games That shouldn't
0: in. change. That shouldn't change.
1: Yeah, the, The expectations, and you know what? I I love being able to look at the Leafs dispassionately. I'm not a Leaf hater. Uh, I'm just not a Leaf lover. And, you know, in the city of Toronto, where we're recording, you usually get one or or the other, right? Which is a strange thing in people because, you know, because you're thinking, hey, the team is from here. But you know there are a lot of Leaf haters in this city. Um, So for me, when I'm looking at it, hey, your big guns, they're scoring. Um, yeah, they may not be yeah, scoring yeah, at the scoring. inflated. Yeah, they're scoring. They may not be in, infl- scoring at the inflated expectations that the fans had preseason, but they're scoring. Um, you, you, yeah, Goaltending. And I'm going to let you talk more about that, but I look at the goaltending that they've had, the injuries they've had, and their goaltending has, has been nothing short of amazing.
0: Well, No question. It's been a surprising strong start by a mixed bag of goaltenders with injuries uh, being suffered rip, rip rapidly out of the box by Matt Murray, who went on to come back and, and put up three solid, really solid wins. Yep. And then Samsonov was really solid in his five, six starts, and then he got hurt. Eric Schalgren kept the, the, the team's head above waters while he played. Goaltending has not been an issue. You can't look at the Leafs and say, well, you know, the goalies this, the goalies that. The goalies have been solid. They've performed. It's everywhere else that seems to be just a little bit lacking, and yet somehow, the Leafs are still in a, a fight for the top of the conference and the top of the division. So while some in some quarters people are looking at this as a disastrous start to the season for the Leafs, has it been really? You know, it it kind of it kind of feels like a nebulous start, if I can call it that. Five on five scoring, they're not the best. Top six production, it, like you said, the the top four guys, top six guys have done okay. They're all hovering around the 20-point mark, which puts them just outside the top 10 in league scoring. But it just, you know, you talk about the eye test. I mean, there's stats up the yin-yang that can back things up. But when you look at the Maple Leafs on the ice, there seems to be a little something missing. Is it that they've had to fight through so much adversity in the early part of the season? I don't know. But it just seems like they're not quite hitting on all cylinders. And maybe that's a good thing. You know, maybe that's a good thing.
1: Now, is there something missing, or is there? You know, we you know we, we uh, like to think that other teams when they come in Toronto that they are they get up for the Leafs. Uh, is there something missing, Brian, or is it that teams are so up to play the Leafs when they come in here that you know the Leafs are, are you know they are who they are. They're a good team. Uh, I hey, take away Boston's historic start, right? Eleven wins at home straight wins at home take away that historic start and you know the the Leafs are only eight points behind them right now you know like is that not good enough like do, do the do the Leafs they had their historic uh, season last year do they need to have a historic season right now 19 games in for fans and you know you always got to talk about the media in Toronto for people to be um you know thrilled with
0: it for it to smell right It's a smell right to you. Well, that's a hell of a good question, Keith, because I'll go back to what we talked about when we initially started this podcast earlier in the fall. I said I want the Leafs to come out and hit the ground running and prove that they are going to be a dominant team. And it doesn't necessarily have to reflect on the scoreboard, but it has to reflect in your effort and your output. And that has not been the case. They haven't been a dominant team, yet they're 10-5-4. They're still right there into the top of the conference. So, we talk about expectations. I guess we have to mitigate our expectations based on the fact that the only thing that really matters is what they do in the postseason. Now, you have to get, I've always said, you got to don't disregard the regular season because if you don't perform in the regular season, there is no postseason. So, the regular season absolutely counts. But the way they're going about this, maybe we should just sit back and take stock and say, you know what? Maybe they're not going to go great guns throughout the regular season. Maybe they'll have a few peaks and valleys here and there, peaks where they look like the team that we expect them to be, and valleys where they're just sort of puttering along, which is what it seems like they're doing right now. So that may be what we see from the Leafs this season. And is that necessarily a bad thing? I'm kind of thinking it might not be. I'm kinda you know what? I
1: didn't do the math on this, but, you know, just looking at it, um, 19 games in, they've got 24 points. Um, they're over. Yeah. They're they're over a yeah. hundred point pace right now. They're probably with you know with uh, sixty three games left. I believe they're probably on about a hundred and six hundred and eight point pace. You know that's that's a pretty good season. That's not terrible. Yeah, that's a pretty good season. You know, uh, you take away last year and you ask Leaf fans. Would you, hey, if the Leafs had 108, 110 points, would you be satisfied in a season? And I think that most of them, you know, the high majority would have said yes, right? So,
0: you Mm -hmm. know. Yeah, for sure. There's no question about that. And there have been, you know, despite this sort of desultory start, if I can call it that, uh, to this point of the season, there have been some positives, for Maple Leafs and Maple Leaf fans to point to. I mean, John Tavares is off to a heck of a start. He's got, what, 20 points, 21 points through uh, 19 games. And the return of Timothy Lilligren from that abdominal surgery, um, he's just fit right in. Like he had a couple of tough moments here and there, but for the most part, he's picked up from where he left off in the playoffs last season. And I'll tell you who's uh, weathered the storm very much, throughout the first uh, quarter of the season, let's say, Sheldon Keefe, the coach, because he was under a lot of criticism right off the bat. And he seems to have come through that pretty well. He's made some moves with the lineup in games and out of games that have paid dividends for the team. So uh, things like that are positives. The play of Dennis Malgin coming back into the lineup, he's proved – people said that this guy can only play top six because he's skill, skill, skill. Well, he's solidified a role for himself – on the fourth line of all places, giving them some extra offensive push while also being a real, you know, defensively responsible player. And as we said earlier, the goaltending, from Sansonov to Murray to Shahlgren has kept the Leaf in games and kept them afloat through the early part of the season. So, yeah, I mean, they haven't been a dominating team, but there are a few positives that we can look to and see why this team maybe has some runway to a certain point in the season, find their groove and go on a nice little run. So, to this point, I'm not going to put anything less than the expectations that started the season and say this team has to go deep in the playoffs. And I think they're on their way to that. But it's going to be an interesting you, ride for the You rest know what, of the Brian,
1: if no I ask you, that. if I say Boston and New Jersey, what does that mean to you as a League fan? Boston and New Jersey.
0: Two of the hottest teams in the league that are just having incredible starts to the season, the kind of starts you wanted your team to have, but it doesn't. That's what I see when I and when and I hear those are New the Jersey.
1: only two teams in the entire Eastern Conference that have better records than the Toronto Maple Leafs. New Jersey is in the midst of a twelve-game <laughs> winning streak. Boston, like Boston, had like a nine-gamer. Yeah. It, it snapped and then they've rent now they've run off six straight again so that's why I'm saying you know what the fact for me as a non-leaf fan that Sheldon Keefe is on the hot seat is kind of ridiculous you know your your team is second in your division third in the conference and you're on the hot seat I know this I know he's guided the Leafs he's made the moves but you know when he was on the hot seat like 10-12 games in you know that's kind of you know, let the man coach, yeah. and as you from out your own words, he has coached. He has coached. You know, you got you have mm-hmm. to give opportunity. I mean, when does a guy earn you know a little bit of leeway and a little bit of respect when you're the coach of the Leafs? You know, uh, for me,
0: I yeah. Well, that's that's for sure. He need, he's definitely garnered that with his performance throughout the first quarter of the season, I think. I believe that. But I mean, there are pundits and analysts out there who have uh, different opinions, and that's fine. They're allowed to have that. Uh, you know, Keith, I think you touched on something that's, that's very vital when it comes to this Maple Leaf team in this particular season. Boston and New Jersey and teams like that have uh, you know gotten off to a tremendous start, and yet the Leafs are still right there with them. And haven't really, you know, put it together yet in the way that people, and I think themselves expect themselves to. So that's the question I have, and I still have this question: Are they on the cusp of doing that, or is this what we're going to see for them for the rest of the season? Kind of just getting through, getting through. And as I said before, is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't think it is. I don't. Think yeah, it
1: no. Is. I, you know what, I, I think, uh, you know. Sports are supposed to be fun. I know this is pro sports. I know more people live and die on what the Leafs do when it comes to the NHL, when it comes to hockey anywhere in the world. But, uh, you know, I look at it and, you know, the, the test, the eye test, you know, it's got to feel fun and look fun in a way that I, that I think. And, and, you know, I, I think the Leafs are under pressure. They, they, they lose a game. Every team loses a game they should win, you know? And a lot of teams are able to, you know, bounce back from that, and the Leafs have to carry that loss with them. And I think that sometimes, you know, the expectation that, you know, one, they had a great season, but also those expectations from game to game, you know, those can, that can wear on a team. I don't think the Leafs are worn down by any means. I think they're off to a great start. I would love it if my team was off to that start, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, I hear you. Well, on that note, I think we should talk about your team. Yeah,
1: Brian, what was the Leafs' record again? You mentioned it.
0: 10-5-4.
1: The Canadians are 9-8-1. and one. And the feeling is just totally different, isn't it? It's just totally different than what yeah, the... Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's euphoria. euphoria. <laughs> I mean, you know, they were playing, uh, you know, four rookie defensemen. Uh, through most of this stretch, right? I mean, uh, last night they came back from one of the most fun wins that I've seen in a long time, you know, down uh, three times in the game. They came back to tie it. Cole Caulfield scoring with 1.9 seconds left on the clock to tie it and send the game into overtime. Like, that's just incredible. Incredible. You know, and we were talking about, you know, we're talking about the eye test, you know, the Canadians ended up winning in the shootout, and Nick Suzuki, man, holy cow, he scored a goal, oh yeah,
0: Did he scored a goal Did against again. Carter
1: Hart in the shootout, and it was the only goal uh, scored in the shootout, by the way. So he scored a goal against Carter Hart in that shootout that he turned him inside out you know and i wish the shootout that shootout goal brian was so sweet it should actually count for a regular season goal for for a hit towards his totals cuz that was truly a game winner um, you know what I, i'm going to say jake allen was great in the shootout as well so i mean you know the the canadians right now playing largely you know four rookie defensemen you know they they've looked solid in the back end I mean, you know, the return of Mike Matheson, and you know they did send Jordan Harris to the bench yesterday. Um, he didn't play in last night's game, but he's been solid. You know, he has been a solid defenseman. You know, you got to get Matheson in there, and Matheson did not have the greatest of starts. I told you he was on on the ice in a large part of the first goal uh, when the Flyers scored 39 seconds in, and then they scored two minutes later. He was on the ice again. And it looked like, oh, wow, what a, what a disastrous start for him, you know. But, you know, he scored a, a goal, beautiful setup from uh, Nick Suzuki. And, uh, you know, he was calling for it. This is what Mike Matheson brings. Great skating, great offensive ability. Like, he was, he was calling for that puck the moment he saw Suzuki. And Suzuki had a brilliant backhand pass to uh, Matheson to set up that goal. Like, the feeling is different. The feeling is just so different, Brian that, uh, you know, it's, you know, for me, remember, I was questioning, you know, is Nick Suzuki a true number one? I never questioned, is Cole Caulfield a true number one uh, winger? But I was questioning if Nick Suzuki is a true number one, and through, you know, through uh, 19 games, or 18 games, I guess, for the Canadians, um, he, he really is, I mean, and it feels different. It's that eye test, it's that smell test, like, he, I, I, I told you, like, he looks like the best player on the ice when he is on the ice. No question. And that's huge. Well,
0: as, as we approach the quarter pole of the season, there are a couple of big questions that have come to the fore because of the performance of the Habs to this point. And first and foremost amongst uh, those questions for me is this. Is it too early to make much of the fact that the Habs are actually in the hunt for a wild card spot? The Habs,
1: their success has been because, I think in large part, because this season, there's no in-between. There's no, we're going to try and get the last spot. There's no, we're going to, you know, oh, well, you know, we went through a bad stretch. We're going to try and bottom out and get a, a top pick. I think this year, the Habs have a goal. The fans are happy right now because of the way they've overperformed expectations. And I, you know what? I think you just revel in them and enjoy them. I don't think I don't think you change what you sent out, what you set out to do. You know, Martin St. Louis. I think he's outperformed uh, coaching expectations, but I still see him tinkering with the lineup. I see him working on the power play, being hands on. Well, I
0: think you touched on something that is absolutely uh, vital for the for the uh, I almost had the Maple Leafs, but for the Montreal Canadiens is the fact that their performance to this point in the season has certainly raised the value of those trade pieces. And come the trade deadline, which is still way, way off in the future, um, they're going to be in a great position to reap quite a benefit and quite a bonus because they will offload some of those veteran guys, and uh, they're going to be demanding a pretty serious price, and they'll likely get it based on the performance that these veterans have enabled Montreal to have to this point. Teams are going to look at that and say, well, these guys are professional hockey players who are dedicated to their craft, and they've been around the league long enough to fit in how and where we need them. That makes for a valuable trade piece. Ken Hughes he's he came out
1: with a plan that he said he I'm trying to acquire three first round draft picks for 2023 can he do it perhaps not but he's I, these guys are outperforming and I think you revel in that because now you really have some trade pieces here you have you know you've got your as I look at it your young defensemen most of them are untouchable you have that top line you know Doc Caulfield, Suzuki, they're untouchable. But everybody else, I think, is up for trade. So if these guys are playing well, if they're playing loose and, you know, the bottom line, putting the puck in the net and proving that, you know, hey, we can win games even when we're not supposed to win games. Uh, they're valuable trade pieces. And I think you you have to, you know, you gotta celebrate this and be happy, but steer stay the course and 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 be happy that you got valuable trade pieces now.
0: Well, that seems to be the that seems to be w- the way they're trending. You mentioned something before in passing about the performance of one person <laughs> in particular uh, throughout the early days of the season or the early part of the season, uh, the coach, Martin St. Louis. Uh, if if there's someone who's done a better coaching job in the NHL this season, I have yet to see oh, uh, yeah. them. So, is he your front runner for the or early front runner for the Coach of the Year award?
1: The Jack Adams. <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, you know what? I think that that's going to ultimately go to uh, a playoff coach. I mean, if if San Luis can get them into the playoffs, uh, yeah, I think he is. He's got to be. He's got to be a uh, a favorite for that award. But you know what? For me, he's the coach of the year if he can stick to the plan and develop these players. And you know, through eighteen games, it looks like you know there's no reason that he should not be able to do so. I mean, you know, a guy who was like the ultimate underdog, I love those guys as coaches. You know, he was an underdog who became a superstar, a heart Trophy winner, you know? Like, this guy became a superstar. So, I mean, you know, he he's able to, the Canes don't have any superstars, but he's definitely able to relate to players in every position on that roster. And I think that is his, you know, that's his real strength as a coach. Um, and you know what? I think sometimes we make, um, you know, uh, um, assumptions that you have to have years and years of coaching behind you. You know, like this is a guy who's been in all the situations on the ice. So, I mean, I think he understands the technical side of the game. And, and you know, he's going to be able to motivate people to play that technical side of the game. I think that's the undervalued with Martin St-Louis. so to a long way to answer your question. No, uh, he's my Jack Adams winner, but he may not be Coach of well, the Year in the NHL. I think NHL. That's,
0: uh, that's our look at the Habs for now. But I will say this as we as we close out the Montreal Canadiens, um, if ever a team looked like they were having fun in the NHL, it, if if it's not the New Jersey Devils who are having way too much fun because of their 12-game winning streak. It's the Montreal Canadiens. The way they celebrate wins, the way they celebrate each other's little victories in the game, that's a fun team, and they look like they're having a great time. So clearly, whatever Martin St. Louis is doing in the locker room is paying dividends not only on the ice but in the the emotional makeup of the team. It it just it looks good, and it speaks volumes for that organization.
1: Yeah, and I think in 2022, mm-hmm. this can't be overlooked, right? I mean, 2022, you got you have to cater to players' feelings, their emotions. Um, you know, they've got to feel that, yeah. You know, you have their back. You know, this isn't Punch Imlac in the 1960s. You know, like this is a <laughs> this is a coach that no, the players want to feel. Hey, you know, this guy has our best interests at heart, and I think he conveys that brilliantly. Right.
0: Well, that's our look at the Montreal Canadiens. Let's move on. To hoop with our own Toronto Raptors.
1: Yeah, what do you think about that game last night, Brian? I think night, a lot Brian? about
0: that game, and we're not going to talk specifically about that game much, but I will say this. Um, I felt bad for Scotty because he dunks that ball nine, 99 out of a, Did you watch it?
1: I did see the game, yeah. It's okay,
0: so 99 times out of 100 he dunks that, game over.
1: And, I mean, and Brian, reason, Brian, just just to clarify, you're talking about?
0: The last basket that they missed at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, he had a chance to win this game in regulation, a game that, you know, they lost in OT. Okay.
0: Um, yeah, so 99 out of 100 times he dunks that, and the only reason he didn't dunk it was because he had tweaked his ankle.
1: Uh, which is interesting. I was talking to a, like, messaging back and forth with a friend, and I asked her, she watches every game, do you think – that <laughs> He didn't dunk that because of the ankle. Like, do you think that came into play? And she said no. I mean, I, mean, what I thought she, it
0: did. What, does she, does she, is she a doctor? Has she played no. the game? Let no. Me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Keith, and I'll tell you exactly what happened on that play. And this is it. He didn't jump off both feet. He jumped off of one foot. He, put, yeah. he went up off two feet, but he didn't jump off of both feet oh, because yeah. he didn't yeah. want to put pressure on that ankle. So he didn't get the normal lift he gets. That's why he didn't go for the dunk. And oh yeah. The only well, reason he did that was because it was tender, and he was worried about how he was going to land, and 100%. that's why he didn't dunk it. And so that was my that 100%, was my hundred percent. The ankle was a factor in that play. It was the yeah, only Yeah, that was my factor.
1: thought. That was my thought. I mean, I posed it as a question, like, what do you think, right? But I, that was my thought that you know. With, any other time, you know, that ball is in, the game is over, and they have an incredible win with like so yep. many players out, you know? Yeah. But. Uh, no,
0: there was, there's no question in my mind that, that, that uh, there's absolutely none. I can guarantee. I've been in that position. I've done that. I know what that yeah. feels like where you have an ankle that's wonky and you keep tweaking it. it. That shit hurts. And then you go to push off it, you're worried about landing on it.
1: You know, it's so funny because. You don't
0: go up as hard or as strong, you don't push as hard. And if you don't push as hard, you're not getting to the rim. You're not dunking.
1: Yeah. I I, believe, I never believed that, you know, losing is winning. I believe winning is winning. But the yeah. Raptors came close with, you know, the the players that they, they had last night. Yeah. Seven guys. And, you know, Malachi played great. Um, and it's good, right? Because I think further on down the line, it's, ju- it's just about the trust, you know. You know, what's funny is I feel bad for Banton because Banton was really, <laughs> you know, really yeah. earning trust well there, you, you know? talk
0: about you talk about ankle injuries he tweaked hit, hit didn't tweak he turned his back yeah so we're yeah. you know he might be in a situation like with um precious achua who's got some strained ligaments i don't, I don't know if they diagnosed as torn ligaments but he's definitely got strained ligaments and that's weeks that takes to heal i know well, yeah. might, might just be in the same boat which is too bad because you're right he was really finding his way.
1: What do you think of Banton? Is he, do you, is he, a, um, part of the Raptors system, or uh, is he, or? Yep. No. no.
0: Yep. Hundred percent. Don't even give me an option opportunity. And I'll tell you why. I said this last year, um, and I fully believe this, and I think it's borne fruit. Uh, he is exactly the type of player the Raptors want—a multi-skilled multi-positional, defensively strong, offensively skilled Mm -hmm. ball player. Not a point guard, not a shooting guard, ball player. And he's proven that by the work he's committed to doing and has done to improve his handle. No, no. He's not as loose with it as he was before. And to improve his jump shot. The guy's always going to get to the hoop because he's just got that mentality. But there were areas of his game that were lacking that were not allowing him to be trusted by Nick Nurse. Um, he gambled too much on defense. You don't see him doing that anymore. He couldn't knock down an open jump shot. He can shoot the ball now. And his handle was too loose. Well, he's worked on that. So he put the work in, and he's, he's starting to bear fruit for them. He's exactly what they want. You come here with your physical abilities, and you get into our lab, you put the work in, and then you become part of the rotation. And what has happened? He's come here with his physical abilities, he put the work in, and now he's part of the rotation. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I
1: li- I mean I've, I've always liked him. He comes from the right part of the city. And so, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, you know. Rexdale um, forever, right? But, I mean... Uh, yeah, uh, well, let me ask you this then. Um, yeah. They, the Raptors are 9-8 and eight right now. Yes. Yeah. Putting them, what, 7th in the Eastern Conference? They haven't really gotten a whole lot of criticism for a so-so start, primarily because they've been so banged up. But do you think that them winning a championship so recently has has allowed them to get a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a pass? In terms uh, yeah, of, uh, I think, criticism? you know,
1: one of the things you never hear in the media for a number of reasons. Do you ever hear anyone criticizing Nick Nurse? Right. It, this is the this is the this is the opposite no, of never. Sheldon Keefe, Right. You know he gets. I I I don't think yeah. he's. Yeah, uh, you know, I think he's a good co- a, a solidly very very good coach. But he's not getting criticism. I I think you know what the injuries and yeah I think listen guys like you and me. Um, we probably, I, honestly, Brian, I thought I might never see the Raptors win a championship. Or it was going to be years and years away. Young fans, they still, like, that's, you know, that's the only championship they know, right? They bask in that, you know, they bask in that glory of, mm-hmm. yeah, we are winning. And there is that thing. We, there's, they, they've got great branding, man. We the North, you know? It's like we're all, all yeah. in this. That's our kind of... Uh, yeah. That's our kind of brand with the Raptors, you know? So, yeah, if you start turning on them 17 (laughs) games in, you're not really on brand, you know? You're not really we the North, you know? (laughs) So.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you something, Keith. I have to disagree with you a little bit because um, in terms of the Raptors and their championship bona fides, to me, I thought they were on the cusp of being a championship team before they got Kawhi. And I remember I was having a discussion with Paul Jones on radio one day, and I said, you know, for the first time in the history of this franchise, and it was uh, 2018, it was 2018-2019 season. 18-19, yeah, that's when they won. The year before. Yeah, 18-19 was when they won, so it had to be 17-18. And uh, they were on an extended run of excellent play. And it was the first time in the 20-plus year history of watching the Raptors to that point that I felt there isn't a team in the league the Raptors can't beat and beat handily. They were playing that well. And of course, we know how that season Mm -hmm. ended with another loss to the LeBrons, right? However, Paul and I had this discussion, and Paul, who knows a heck of a lot more about basketball than I did or do, agreed with me that this Raptors team has the makings of a championship team. Now, we didn't know that they would have to trade away Demar DeRozan to become a champion, but it looked like that season they had finally unlocked whatever code they had to unlock to become a team in the NBA that was going to be really difficult to handle. And you know if you if you recall, they were. They were a very tough team. They played great defense, they had a tremendous offense built around the abilities of Demar DeRozan. Oh they yeah. Just ran into yeah. LeBron I James mean, one time, you know, May. it's funny
1: cuz I thought they could have gotten through the East. I, I just didn't think they had, without Kawhi, yeah, and ob- that's obvious. I just didn't think they had that player, that when another player was, you know, the player that could go basket for basket with another guy when you need it, you know. And it, as you've seen, mm-hmm. you know, you've seen it in, in pretty much at least I have in almost every final I watched, you know, some guy going some guy going basket and then your guy needs to get the basket. I thought that. The Raptors were a collection of good to very good offensive players. But I didn't think DeMar was that guy. I didn't think Kyle was that guy.
0: Well, let me put it, let me, let me, let me put it to you this way, Keith. Go back and watch DeMar in the last 40 games of that season. And yeah, he definitely that was, was a- one of those guys. He was I, – I, you know, there are very few unstoppable players in the NBA. Um, and he was – for 40 games at the end of that season – He was in that category. He would get into his groove, he'd get into his bag, and he was going to score or get fouled almost every time down the floor. And that's the type of player you're talking about. When you know that, hey, the offense breaks down, put the ball in his hands. He's going to make something happen. And that's what DeMar DeRozan was doing. And I I was just about to say he was doing it in the regular season.
1: And that's 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 not what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah,
0: but that's the thing. But that's what I'm telling you. I mean, here's the thing, and I said that about the lease. You yeah. got to get through yeah. the regular season to get to the playoffs, and they did that in yeah. a fashion that had you believing that they could do something in the playoffs. And I, you know, to this day, I'll tell you, um, I don't know what happened to both he and Kyle in that series, yeah. but it just was—it was a shock. It was a shock, and I, and I think it shook the the organization to its foundations, yeah, and shook the them up enough that we saw what happened. Yeah, Dwayne. Dwayne Casey, yep. gone. DeMar DeRozan, gone. So obviously that was the the last piece, uh, the last time that we we could see that the Raptors were going to have to oh, yeah. run into that wall, that block. Yeah. And then LeBron <laughs> ended up You know, leaving you know what's anyway funny? Is, is, um, it didn't uh, really what's the name? in the end.
1: OG was a rookie, and I remember him covering LeBron in that series, and I felt... So, I, I but I felt so bad for him because Did LeBron great hits that crazy three off the glass on a
0: on a, a on a ridiculous runner angle he was left with a the ridiculous right hand angle off the bank and it goes off yeah.
1: and I say a ridiculous angle but yeah. you know you know let's be honest LeBron's more familiar <laughs> with the glass than than the average person his familiarity probably defies physics with the shots he's made, but it was still a ridiculous angle. Yeah. OG was right there with fantastic yeah. defense,
0: like fantastic defense, tremendous defense. It was uh, just one of those all-time shots that really doesn't get talked about as an yeah. all-time playoff moment for some strange reason. Like that to me is one oh, of yeah. the greatest shots in NBA playoff. Well, history. I think so too because it was well, a it was night. a game four, not a game that?
1: seven. You know what I mean? You, because if the yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no. Circumstances dictate the the resonance of great plays, right? And that didn't quite have the the appropriate circumstances around it. It was a great play, but the circumstances. Yeah, if that's a game uh, seven,
1: we're not talking about it like that. But they're talking about it, kind of like Kawhi's. uh, You know what I mean? Kind of like Kawhi's against Philly, right? I mean, I think I think that's that's it. Well, sure,
0: Uh, exactly. You know, not to jump away to another sport, but it's always I'm always reminded of that uh, uncalled triple play oh, yeah. in the 1992 yeah. World Series was it yeah. Toronto, v- Toronto versus Atlanta, which is the greatest play or in baseball history that never <laughs> happened. You know, because circumstances. Yeah, it is. It's without question the greatest play in baseball history, but because one, the ump blew the call, and two. It was not a yeah. triple play. It was, ended up being just a double play. It didn't really happen. But so once again, circumstances yeah. make for great moments. Yeah, and so going back and, and
1: going there. back to the Raptors, that was the thing. I remember in that season, remember that season when, was it against Detroit? When, when they, the Raps were down? And you, you know this dunk. It's one of the best dunks I saw when DeMar just went.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, DeMar detonates against to, Detroit. Takes gets
1: a rebound. Goes coast to coast, right down the middle, like unless yeah. to, to win the jam, game, puts and a guy at that in point, the loop. I was like, uh, so yeah. that, at that point, I was a believer. After the playoffs, I was not a believer because remember For they sure. sat him down. Remember yeah. they sat him down in those playoffs.
0: No, I, yeah, yes, I know it was crushing, and I all I I, I remember. Gosh, <laughs> this is a terrible walk down. Well, the just, lane, Keith. Why are we going down this lane? I remember watching those games thinking, what is going on here? What has happened? Because he was, so, he was dominant. He wasn't good. He was dominant. Yeah. And then he was nothing. He, was, he couldn't hit a shot. He couldn't handle the ball. He, every <laughs> basketball ability that he had was gone. And I'm thinking, how could this happen now at this point? What is it? Does LeBron have a, like one of those dolls back in his locker and is pushing pins into it? Because there was no reason for it. It wasn't like he didn't play good oh, against LeBron during the regular season. And all of a sudden, now at the most crucial t- point in the year, you fall down? I, was, I, I To this day, yeah. I will never understand what happened in that series. Because it wasn't like LeBron did anything to him. Just that DeMar did not play well. No. And neither did Kyle, for that matter. Kyle had a tough series too but that was overshadowed exactly. by the fact that. Exactly. I mean Damar the expectation for
1: Demar going in was like okay this is it right? I mean he's going to ascend. Yeah. Yeah. And then Next you know not even and then not even to 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 go back to your your baseline. <laughs> you know what I mean? To play under that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like to play under that was just sub baseline
1: like, crushing. But you know what um Let's talk about it. Yeah. I think one of the reasons, too, that, that they're getting a pass, rightly or wrongly, is they're winning at home. I think they're six and one at home, and fans are going away. Yes. You know, it's tough to, it's tough to, yeah. to, to better word, rag on a team when you exit the building and you're all happy. Hey, we won. You know what I mean? You know?
0: I know. Oh, we're nine we and eight, but he You won six games, hey, we, games at home. You know, know, the fans games at home. And so especially those people
1: that go, you know, those people that can afford yeah. to go <laughs> a lot of nights, you know, they're leaving and they're,
0: you know, they're happy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'll, I'll say this too, Keith. If, if the Raptors can continue to tread water like this until they're back with their full lineup, which That's may not scary. be for a couple of months uh, based on the nature of some of these injuries, um, you know, if they can continue to tread water, I wouldn't want to play these guys down the road. I think Siakam is a bona fide. He really put it out there, and he achieved that goal. He can play like a top-five player. Um, and Fred at full health is a just – he's a guy that makes the Raptors work. There's something about Fred Van Vliet that just – the guy wins. You oh, know, yeah. He's won in high school. He's won in college. Yep. He's coming to the NBA. He's been a winner. There's something about him. One in the G Yeah, yeah. One in the G League, too. There's something about guys like Freddie Van Vliet, and they're rare, that it doesn't matter the situation. They could be playing poorly, but if it comes time to make a play, they're going to get it done. He just has that that knack, and I think that this team is going to be a problem down the road in this season once they're fully healthy. So let's hope they can continue to tread water. Which they have been to what 17 games now throughout the season. Yeah, they, you know that's, they're basically treading water. treading water. So continue to do that when, I, when they're healthy. I think they're. I'm worried be though too
1: because I'm worried too because of leg injuries. I'm wondering like you got have high ankle sprains, you got Pascal's, and I'm just worried that. Well, hold. Let know, me. How, uh, well,
0: hold. Hold on a second. We don't have high ankle sprains. A high ankle sprain is a completely different thing. Than the ligaments. Oh yeah, it's a grade yeah. two. Okay, so, so that, it's a that's gray a grade two. That's that's a that's another but, sc- scenario. Um, they do have serious ankle issues, s- though. Like pressure. Yeah, I'm worried about Manton. them
1: staying in NBA shape. Can you can you can you work out and be in NBA shape? Are you coming back and then having to not just coming back from the injury? Are you coming back and then I uh, got to take weeks to get back into shape the way I was? You know, because well, what, what this Raptors isn't just have jogging that around.
0: Teams that, that very few teams have in the NBA. The Raptors have probably the best medical staff in the league. Uh, well, I, I, you know, yeah. we've seen that time and time again that people come in here are just blown away by the expertise that the Raptors, Alex McKechnie and his staff bring to bear uh, in this organization. So, Regardless, they, one thing I'm they'll s- do, they'll have these guys ready. When their when their time comes to hit the floor, I, no, I, I think their their no injuries about will be okay. That whatsoever,
1: I think their injuries will be okay, but I don't think that you can that you can step not play for for weeks and weeks and just walk in and, and you're back to top shape. So no, 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 that no that's I not what I'm
0: saying. No, they will be in shape to play, but they, they, they have to play yeah. games to be in game shape. To be in shape, that's, that's, yeah, no, and that's, that's, that's a different and thing that's, altogether. That's but they'll be. Physically that's capable my concern. Of getting to the point where they can get into game shape. You can't get into game shape unless you play games. Uh, you and, yeah, I, and, that's you and my, I both know that's that my there's concern. a huge difference between the work you do on the practice court and the real work of, of the game. Of course.
1: Yeah, that's my concern, though. They're in seventh, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, they're, don't, they're I know they're in, seventh, they're in seventh. I don't know how close they are. 17
0: games gone in the season. There's, like, you know, there's, yeah. there's a long road but ahead. You know,
1: in, in months, down, a couple of months down the line, you know are you in seventh you know remember this is the the way it's trending would suggest no right in two months so that's my issue just the way it's trending would suggest you're not in seventh um you're losing more games now than you're winning so that's you know an issue i mean no, no they're not obviously they're six no, guys they're out. winning
0: more games than they're losing they're nine and eight they're not eight and nine
1: no, no, no. But since, uh, since these injuries, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's my point. Since these injuries, they're losing hey, more. I'm going to be, I'm I'm saying. Gonna be it's a trending.
0: stickler here, okay? I'm going to be a stickler. That's here why because... I'm saying it's,
1: it's trending that okay. way. I didn't say the record is. Yeah. All right, let's, let's talk about this stuff, man. The whole lockdown let's see memory how it lane works.
0: was fun.
1: Oh, with the <laughs> – with Dermar. I'm like, now I feel bad. I don't, I don't want to rip on Jamar. I'm, <laughs> I love Jamar. That's the truth, though,
0: baby. That is the truth. That's exactly yeah, I it. Look, I thought he was awesome that year. I was blown away. Oh, yeah. I thought he's finally become this guy that is like unstoppable and a leader. And, and then he shit the bed in the playoffs hard. Yeah. Like he, he that, that actually a, hurt. He, oh, it, it hurt my feelings. I hurt for him.
1: Yeah. And then he got traded. Yeah.
0: And then he did got they trained. say one
1: game he had a headache? Hmm? Was that, did they, did they, did he have a Scottie Pippen headache in one game too?
0: No. No.
1: No. Okay. Cause so they just sat him down. I thought yeah, at least he they was gave him medical that reason. Bad. Yeah. Like,
0: how
1: that's, bad do you that, have that's to be hurt.
0: if you're the guy? And he was the guy. No question. Yeah. He was the guy. How bad do you have to be that Dwayne Casey, who's a player's coach? Sits you down in a playoff game. My God, he was yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. I know. It was so bad.
0: Keith. Uh, He was so bad. It did hurt my feelings.
1: Yeah, that was. I I, I, yeah, you had to feel sorry for the guy at that point, because it, you know what I mean. It's like you know the drill. If you're at the heights, (laughs) Mm. Mm. right? The fall, right? It's the fall.
0: Yeah, it's you know. If you're if you're,
1: yeah. If he didn't ascend to that level during that year, mm-hmm. and then, you know, if he was just – he always a very, very good player, but, you know, if he was at that very, very good level, then you would have been like, oh, right, okay. Yeah. But actually, not for what happened to him. Like, he fell off a shelf in the playoffs. Yeah. Let's be real, you know. But so to his you, credit, you though, still what
0: he did in San, in San Antonio and what he did last yeah. year in Chicago, the man, you know, he just he built himself back up because you look at him now, and even earlier this season, he was just – Man, he's good. He is so good. Yeah? He's gotten better. I think he went to the right coach. He's gotten better.
1: Yeah, I think he went to the right coach as well to Yeah. to uh, you know, maximize him. You know what? His scoring actually went down in San Antonio, but, his, but everything else went up.
0: His on-court game got better.
1: Yeah, everything else went up. And then last year, I mean, his scoring was back up there with yeah. with the Bulls, right? So He just I mean, he's, he's a player who better. knows
0: what he's good at and he's like if you can't stop this, I'm going to keep doing it every single time. He so Mr. much reminds Mid-range. me of, um, what's his name? Adrian Dantley. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> a, 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 except <laughs> yeah. he's a little more athletic. But Adrian Dantley yeah. would come down and just work you for the same move until you stopped it. And the man yeah, was scoring exactly. like 35 points a game doing that. Slow, yep. low post, back you down, spin around. Six, five. You you know yeah, slow, six, five, low, yeah six five six five low pump, post big, guy who bang, couldn't bang. jump <laughs> the guy was the master of the three point play yeah man we took a walk down memory lane with the raptors there but let's wrap things up this way keith they are treading water they're staying their float they're keeping their head above water um the injuries are piling up but it's a long season and i think they're going to be okay all right up next we are going to take a serious walk down memory lane uh, A little story about one of the greatest loops of all time, one glorious song. year about 20 games in the first second week in november it's hall of fame time around toronto when they induct uh this year's members of the hall of fame into the hall it also means that there's a couple of big games over the weekend uh that involve the leafs the hall of fame game and then the subsequent game on saturday night and this is an opportunity for members of the hall of fame to gather in toronto and to be honored for their contributions to the game of hockey And specifically for us as Toronto Maple Leaf fans, our Hall of Fame members like Daryl Settler, Lanny McDonald, and of course, Borea Salming. Now, earlier this year, Borea Salming was diagnosed with ALS, commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. There is no known cure for this disease, and it is, it's a bitch, because you are pretty much locked in your own body and it just deteriorates, and that's what's happening to Boya Salming. So to see Salmon come out on Friday night and then again on Saturday night to be honored by the Leafs. If you're a kid like me who grew up in the 70s loving the Leafs, you had to love Boya Um, Stats didn't matter, wins didn't matter because there wasn't a whole lot of that going on, but what mattered was the presence, the ability, the skill, the toughness, the strength, the swagger that this man played with He was one of the greats, and he was playing for our team. You got goosebumps watching this guy every single night, year in, year out. Borya Solming was a presence. He was a force. He was special, and he was a Maple Leaf. And to a guy like me, a kid like me growing up in that time, when the Maple Leafs meant so much, they meant everything, Borya Solming was the king, which was his nickname, appropriately enough. Now I have a quick story about actually getting to meet Boreasolmi. Salming. I was uh, in high school and uh, one of my good friends, Sam Hill, his father was a prophet at U of T, so we would uh, leave school a little early uh, on occasion to go play basketball with his father at U of T at at Vic College, a little gym uh, in one of the colleges there. So we're walking along Wellesley Street, we get to Wellesley and Bay. So we're standing on the corner waiting for the light to change. And I realize there's someone standing behind us. So I turn around and like, oh my goodness, it's boring it Salming. And I guess he was walking down because Maple Leaf Gardens was just down the road to go to practice or just whatever. And like, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. So I just said, How you doing, Mr. Salming? And he and he looks down at me because he's a couple inches taller than me and goes, I'm good. Have a good day. And just walks along. But I was like, Oh my God, Borya Salmin was right there. Just to be that close to a guy that you—I don't get all into this whole heroic worship of players or people in sports—but Borya Salmin was a legend. He was a legend while he was playing, he was a legend after he's playing, and to see him up close and in person, just walking down the street like that, well, I was—I was blown away, as any 14, 15-year-old Maple Leaf fan would be, and to see him this last little while ravaged by ALS uh, you're reminded of two things one you're reminded of the reverence you had for this man when you were a child and you're also reminded that we are all getting older you know time passes man and you have to hold dear to those memories that you had as a kid because they mean so much because that's when numbers didn't matter wins didn't matter the feeling you got from watching these guys play, the Borya Salmings, the Daryl Sittlers, the Lanny McDonald's, uh, in my case as a big Leaf fan, watching those guys play and what it meant to me, um, there is no feeling like it. So, I just want to say thank you to Borya Salming, Godspeed, and, uh, all the best, man. That's, those are my thoughts about Borya Salmings.
1: You know what, uh, I was, uh, I've got a couple of thoughts. Number one is uh, the Leafs generally practice around 10 a.m., 10.30. So how, how early do you and Sam Hill cut, uh, cut class, right? <laughs> <Hey, man. laughs> did you go to school? <laughs> was it just to show up and meet at the school? Or, you know, hey, I mean, I, I'm just I said, curious. I said every, one,
0: on, every once in a while we did that. They played at <laughs> lunchtime at this gym. They were professors, right? They took the afternoon off to play basketball.
1: So we joined them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know what? Boreas Salming, you know, I've I professed that, you know, I am not a Leaf fan. But during the 80s, I was a fan of one Leaf, mm. and that was Borea Salming. You know, I've talked about how back in the day you could identify players by the way they skated on the ice, the way they moved. You didn't have to look for numbers. You didn't have to. And Boreas Salming with that, uh, I remember the, his stick was uh, – you know with was you know memorable but he he had a way of just gathering the puck behind the net he would stop and survey and then he'd go on a rush yeah and i was like captivated by that and uh, a defenseman that could just take over a game um his skating was so smooth and it was a different style of skating and i back then there weren't a lot of swedish players in the league so i attributed that to him being swedish and learning the game differently. But he was the one player on the Toronto Maple Leafs that I wished was on the Montreal Canadiens. And I and I didn't take that lightly because, yeah. you know, Canadians were coming off a dynasty. And I was like, man, if we had that guy, because of his offensive ability and his toughness, that guy would be a treat to watch in the Canadiens lineup every night. And I actually... I met him about twenty years ago on a hall of fame weekend nice and what a what a nice guy he was, and he was still he must have been about fifty because I believe he's about seventy right now, mm-hmm. and i he was still so physically fit uh physically uh imposing like great physical shape like model shape mm-hmm. and then somebody told me that he had a an underwear in, <laughs> line in Europe right and I was thinking oh okay yeah he's still kind of makes sense still doing that sort of stuff but I he was just so fit yeah he was just so fit and you know how we talked uh, you know in an earlier segment about you know when you're at the heights sometimes the fall is so shocking and uh, you know it can be so remarkably swift and to see him out on the ice Uh, a couple Saturdays ago uh, when the Leafs were doing a tribute to him and to see how he has, you know, his physicality. Because I fully expected him at 70 to be that same physical specimen. And ALS has kind of robbed him of that. But you saw his other qualities, uh, his humanity. Uh, He was in tears at the ceremony. Um, You know, his former teammates, you know, they... They kept zeroing in on Sittler, and Tiger Williams was there. Yeah. And you could see the reverence that they had for this guy. And, you know, that for me, when I, I fell in love with not just basketball and hockey, but sports through the stories and through the emotions mm-hmm. that it stirred in me. And that was, you know, an emotional, emotional scene. Uh, I'm glad they could do that for him right now while he could still come out on the ice. And and still be uh, you know a, a good presence, the presence that how
0: I remembered him as. Yeah, well you know it was a special night, and I'm sure any Leaf fan and even those who aren't Leaf fans they can appreciate the greatness that the warrior Salming brought to the ice and the greatness he brought off the ice. He was something special, and that night was something special to see him honored in that way. So we'll end it with there, you know. Once again, Keith, this was uh, good.
1: Thanks, Brian. Uh, you know, hey. A lot of stuff left to talk about, obviously. And, you know, I kind of liked it that, that we capped it with Borea. And, uh, yeah, I mean you know, we're going forward. Leafs, Leafs Raptors, Habs. The Puck and Hoop you Podcast. Know, you can get it all here on our podcast. You know
0: it. Episode 9 is coming up. Don't you dare miss it.
1: If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another T.I.Y.P. narrowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puckin' Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puckin' Hoop narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.